Would you pray just for a moment to settle your hearts? Hearing these words from Pastor Ted Loder. Now, O Lord, call me into a quietness that heals and listens and molds my longings and passions, my wounds and wonderings into a more holy and human shape. Amen. So this morning we've read a few different passages as we normally do. And the James passage that Chris read for us is packed full. It's probably 60 sermons and every, every three words is another sermon topic in James. And that he just bullet points it. This is how we ought to live. He says in James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. Let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to be angry. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. So I have heard this verse probably my whole life. It was often used by my parents to instill in me uh, the conflict management skills. Like if you're, if you're slow to speak, you will be less likely to get into an argument with your sister. You will be less likely to drive me crazy if you are slow to speak and slow to become angry. And that is the case. That is true that if we're slow to speak and quick to listen, that we will be slow to anger. On one level, this is just a simple tool for how to manage conflict or how to keep us out of conflict. And I thought that was the only point here. But I think there might be a deeper truth lying in James's words, his call to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So I'm thinking that we're going to hear James's words as an invitation to be holy listeners. And that is what this message, that's what God has been speaking to me about all week, is to be holy listeners. So what in the world does that mean? It's helping us to identify the voice of the Spirit in all things, in all circumstances. So here's the thing. There's a fun fact here. James was the brother of Jesus. So you can bet he knew Jesus' voice, right? They're brothers. They grew up together. He probably knew Jesus better than anyone. But we don't know whether or not Mary and Joseph told their children who Jesus was. It's kind of like your adopted sibling. Like, do the parents tell the kids or do they not tell the kids, especially if he's a firstborn? So we don't know. Does James know that Jesus is supposedly the son of God? And even if they were told, even if these siblings were told that, you know, your brother Jesus is actually from God, um, would they have believed him? I mean, would your 10-year-old self have believed your parents when they said that this child is from Jesus, or is from God, that he is the son of God? So it took James longer than most to come around to the belief that Jesus was the Messiah. Until after the resurrection, it wasn't until then that James said, this is the Son of God. And so now James has ears to hear. He begins to reflect, perhaps, on all of his encounters with his brother Jesus. And maybe they were, I don't know, maybe they were different than he had originally realized. Maybe he thought, oh, you know what? Jesus didn't yell at us the way that our other brothers yelled at us. I don't know. But I think that James began to imagine Jesus in a different light in his memory. 
I think that James began to hear Jesus as the voice of the Spirit of God and less as just James. Jesus, he's my brother. He began to listen, to be quick to listen to the things that he learned while hanging out with his brother, Jesus. So James encourages us to begin to listen to the things of God, to listen with new ears, with spiritual ears, to the holiness of every little encounter, even the daily encounters, even in our, in our memories as children. Where was God in this? So with James's outline before us, to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, we're going to look back at this passage from Mark, the story that I just read, and Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. So this is Mark chapter 7, and we're starting at the first verse. So it said, Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around them, they noticed some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands without washing them. The scribes, in verse 5, it said, The Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he throws it right back at them. Isaiah prophesied rightly about you, you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching human precepts as if they were doctrines. You have abandoned the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. That is the worst criticism the Pharisees and scribes could have possibly received. Because their whole existence is to honor the commandment of God. And Jesus just said, you've abandoned it. You've created your own set of rules. So I may be reading into this here, but when I pictured myself in this story this week... I, the Pharisees could come, have come with perfectly honest and innocent intent. They, could, they may have. So I apologize, Pharisees, if this is not your intent. They could have come to Jesus and said, you know, I, I've just noticed this. Can you explain to me why? Why are they doing that? I just want to learn more. I'm thinking they didn't come with that holy intention. I'm thinking they came because they were trying to take Jesus out. They were trying to take him down at the knees. And they noticed another thing that his followers were doing wrong. So I think their questions are coming from a place of passive aggressiveness. What, can't, can't you explain this? What are you doing here, Jesus? It was an attack. Or it could have been. They throw out these questions. They're pressuring him. I think they're intending to make him shake in his sandals. To be uncertain. To question. Wait. Oh, oh. Oh, I forgot about those laws. Oh, no. Oh, no. Am I doing everything wrong? Do I need to second guess everything? At least, at least that's how I would have responded. I would have second guessed everything. If someone were to throw those holy questions, those holy in, in quotation marks, holy questions at me. These guys know their scripture. They know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's their Torah. That's their law. They know it better than anyone. They were using the words of God as a weapon. 
And perhaps you have been the victim of such a weapon. Or perhaps you have also used the words of God to condemn someone else. For someone, for an abusive parent to say, honor your father and mother, is not God's intent. There's a loving relationship that God intends. And so Jesus doesn't settle in and just say, okay, yeah, you're right, I guess you're right, I'll change everything. He stands up a little taller. He listens to the voice of the Spirit of God within him. And he says to them, with all truth and power, you hypocrites. This is what Isaiah was talking about. You have abandoned God's commandment and you hold to human tradition. He doesn't listen to their voices of condemnation. He listens to the voice of God and the voice of truth. And there had to be a little bit of conflict there before moving on and stepping into the space that God was carving out for him. God had created this mission opportunity for his son on earth. And if he had listened to the voice of those Pharisees, he would have stopped everything. The plan would have just ended if Jesus had given in to the voices of condemnation and guilt. So this practice of holy listening, I think that even Jesus himself practiced it, but it's his voice we're listening for. And most people, when, when you say, well, I heard from God, or I heard... Uh, from the Spirit, or I heard the voice of Jesus, we get confused because we don't really know what that sounds like. Does it sound the same for Kevin as it sounds for Melanie? Did I hear that, or was that the taco that I ate last night? Uh, Is it an audible sound? Is it just a feeling? I don't know. What I do know is the more you listen for it, the more clearly you know and you have a peace in your spirit that this is Jesus. This is the voice of God. And it's just like your child or even your pets. They know your voice. The more you say their name, the more they listen. So how can we respond to those voices of condemnation and shame and guilt? And they may be literal voices. There may be a person or people in your life who stand before you and throw condemnation at you. And say, you're not enough. You screwed up again. You're, you're worthless. Who do you think you are working here? Or those voices may all be in your head. Most of us have those voices in our heads. And most of the time, they're playing so often that we don't even notice them. It's like the, the uh, elevator music. Just background noise. Just playing again and again and again. You don't even hear the shame, the condemnation, the guilt, because it's just how you operate. So I think the, the easiest place to start with this is to ask a question that I first heard from my friend Anna Marie Peterson. So if you guys don't know Anna Marie, she's not here today, but she said to me when I was confessing some worry or stress to her, she said, whose voice is that? That is the first question to come back to, always. 
When you're hearing the doubt and the guilt and the shame and the condemnation or whatever is plaguing you, and you've gone back to those old tape recorders, like maybe somebody in your childhood always said this about you, and it plays again and again and again. Whose voice is that? Because if we're hearing those voices of guilt and shame and condemnation, that is not from God. Friends, if you have ears to hear this morning, if you hear one thing, hear this. The Holy Spirit never uses guilt. If you are responding to something that you think is God because you felt guilty, that's not from the Spirit. The voice of the Spirit speaks love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Bookmark Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And repeat it over and over and over again until you believe it. I, I still don't fully believe it. Every other day, I lose track. Oh, this is, a, this is my old tape playing. This isn't the voice of the Spirit. Is this love? Is this peace? No, I'm feeling anxious. I feel like I could crawl out of my skin right now. This is not from God. Let it go. God, where are you in this? So besides just asking yourself that question, whose voice is this? I think that practicing holy listening requires us to have comrades or friends in this spiritual journey. Spiritual friendships are essential to helping us to hear the voice of God. That's what Anna Marie did for me when I was sharing something with her and she said, whose voice is that? Because she heard the condemnation and the, and the guilt or the shame or whatever I was putting out there. And it was just my normal operation. I didn't hear it. We need people to hear the voice of God for us sometimes and to say, here's where God is in this. It's important to share your stories. And I think it's even important to voice the, the tapes in your head because when you voice the shame and the condemnation, it takes away the power. And I'll say to Kevin, when, um, I start a sentence with, this sounds really stupid, but... <laughs> I start a sentence like that because it's in my head. Because I know what I'm about to say is actually not true. I know that I'm believing a lie. But until I put it out there and actually verbalize the lie I'm believing, it's still a lie circulating in my head. But as soon as I say, I know this isn't true, but this is the message I'm believing right now. This is the insecurity that I'm listening to again. It still has power over me until I speak it. So if you're hearing that, even if you have to say, I know I shouldn't be believing this, but, but receive this for me. I'm listening to the lie that I'm not enough. That, that song we sang, every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. There's no guilt, no condemnation here. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's what that song says. And another specific relationship, a comrade in the spiritual journey, 
that I would encourage you to explore. I'd love to talk to you about this. It's called a spiritual director. And a spiritual director, a spiritual direction is an age-old practice in the Christian faith that we have lost. We've lost sight of it. But it's simply a person who is intentionally listening to your story and helping you to discern the voice of God in all things. They're not offering you advice. They're not giving you counsel. They're not giving you, um, they're, they're not acting as your psychologist. They're not saying, well, I think what you're imagining here is they're not giving you five steps forward. They're simply saying, share with me where you're at right now. And here's where I hear the spirit. Where is God in this? We're able to weed through the noise of the world around us. The terrible headlines. Or that terrible mistake we made last week. We're, we're able to slow the thoughts in our minds and be able to gradually decipher the voice of the Spirit when we have a partner to do that with us. So I meet once a month with a spiritual director and over the course of two years, she is able to see the arc of God's story in my life as we journey together. And, I, and I'll, I'll be saying things and I, and I remember, oh, that's what we talked about. That's the voice of God. So if that's something that you want to know more about, I would love to talk to you about that and point you in the right direction. But spiritual direction, it offers us a safe place to explore what we think may be but may not be a spiritual encounter with God. The things that might just be ignored because that can't be spiritual enough. And finally, I think holy listening urges us to create this inner space of slowing and silence. Because I can't hear the spirit in you if I'm too busy thinking of what I'm going to say next. I mean, it is hard for me to think, uh, to listen to you when my child is running around crazy. So I apologize for the stage of life that I'm in right now. But a lot of times, that's where we find ourselves. You're just thinking of a response. You're just thinking of a comeback. You're just thinking of a verse, or you're just thinking of the next thing you want to do, or you're thinking of anything else but what the person is saying. And beyond that, not just hearing their words, but what is the Spirit saying? What do I hear God saying as this person shares with me? Eugene Peterson says, How can I persuade a person to live by faith and not by works? If I have to juggle my schedule constantly to make everything fit in place. So maybe you're like me and you need to ask yourself, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to do to pare back my day and my week to be present when someone talks to me? To be present to the Spirit of God in all things. And this type of holy listening, this produces the fruit of the Spirit. And this keeps us from the anger, right? 
quick to listen, slow to speak, and we will be slow to anger. This keeps us from that whole list of evil intentions at Mark 7, 22 and 23. If we're listening to the Spirit, then we're not, we're not finding ourselves lost in murder and adultery. We're not finding ourselves envious or needing to slander someone else or needing to be prideful because we need something, we need to prove ourselves. Because if we're listening to the voice of the Spirit, we know our belonging. We know the voice of God. We know his peace and his love and his joy. When we practice this holy listening, we begin to hear and respond to Jesus' invitation to join him in his work. So here's what I think church boils down to. The coming together the sacrament, and then the sending. Whatever you have received here, God's grace and God's peace, you take into the world God's grace and God's peace. So when we have our fill, we come and eat and drink, and we have the bread of life and the living water of Jesus. We take that out into the world and become ministers of his grace and his peace.